Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Well, we'll be practicing the rule of life. We'll first exhale everything that keeps us from this moment and we'll be inhaling the presence of God. Let's exhale first, breathe out all the toxicities, everything that weighs us down and blocks us from this present moment moment of seeking the Lord. And let's breathe in the presence of God, the voice, the whispers of God, and the faithfulness of God. And I'll be reading from our devotional, Jesus Calling. Receive my peace. It is my continual gift to you. The best way to receive this gift is to sit quietly in my presence, trusting me in every area of your life. Spending time alone with me can be a difficult discipline because it goes against the activity addiction of this age. You may appear to be doing nothing, but actually you are participating in battles going on within spiritual realms. You are waging war not with the weapons of the world, but with the heavenly weapons which have divine power to demolish strongholds. Living close to me is a sure defense against the evil one. Amen? Please be seated. Testing, one, two. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Happy second Sunday in Lent. How is everybody doing with their fasts so far? How many of you, all right, I see one person, I see a couple people nodding their head like, yeah, I'm doing so well. How many of you guys are feeling like, all right, there's some days that are pretty good, some days not so good, you know, some days maybe okay? How many of you guys feel like, oh man, I bit off way more than I could chew on this fast? I am making absolutely no judges. I will be 100% honest with you guys. I'm doing pretty awful with my fast this year too. I'm going to be just totally honest with you. I mean, fasting is not something that comes very natural to us, especially in today's world where it's all about how much we can do, how much we can achieve, how much we can, you know, enjoy life. Fasting, removing things from our lives just kind of goes against the grain. The only time you really hear about people fasting nowadays seems like if they're on a diet and they're doing that intermittent fasting thing, which I still don't know how people can do that, or if they're trying to like detoxify from caffeine and things like that, right? It's just a little bit of a different thing than most of us normally go through in our lives. It's against that modern mindset. But when you look historically, fasting has always been a part of so many different disciplines, both religious and philosophical. You see ancient Greeks who would fast to overcome food attachments and addictions. In Jewish culture, fasting was practiced as a form of mourning, whether for your own personal tragedies, whether mourning for the dead, or as a form of repentance for uh, your sins and engaging in repentance towards God. And in other cultures, you would fast because you thought it would bring you enlightenment. It would bring you to a higher plane of being or something like that. And when it comes to fasting in a Christian context, there's a different perspective than all of these that we're called to have. And a lot of us, 
if this is your first time fasting, maybe there's not much that you know about fasting. Maybe the extent of what you know about fasting is just maybe what you've heard, kind of like maybe from a Catholic point of view, like, oh, you're not supposed to eat meat on Fridays. This is why every spring McDonald's comes out with the filet of fish so that on Friday you can have a fish sandwich instead of a hamburger. Uh, maybe you've gone through Lent a couple of times and you understand a little bit more about it. Oh, this is when we are supposed to give up something. We're supposed to fast something that's important to us, something that we rely on, things like that. Um, sometimes it becomes about giving up bad things. It's about, oh, I drink too much coffee or I have too much sweets. I spend way too much time on YouTube. Maybe I'm going to give that up for Lent. And those are all wonderful things to fast, but it's not a point of giving up things that are bad for us because, well, they're bad for us and we're just supposed to fast those things. Uh, Father, I'm going to try to pronounce this name correctly. It's honestly one of the coolest names I've ever heard. Father Archimandrite Akakios, who is a Greek Orthodox priest and theologian. Um, I came across a writing that he did and he said when it came to fasting, fasting constitutes a constructive adherence to a practical therapy by which spiritual illness is cured. It's not a rejection of certain foods or of the body, but a realignment of our attitude towards food and the body. So in the Christian sense, fasting is more than just about the body. It's more than just about the food. It's more than just removing things for the sake of removing them, but it extends into a spiritual realm, into a more spiritual nature about things. It is all about that renewed connection with God. And sometimes we miss that about fasting. We miss the real heart of why we fast. And that's what I'd like to talk about today, just realigning our views of fasting, how we think about fasting, why we fast during Lent, and maybe why we might want to consider fasting throughout the year, you know, rather than just in this one time. But there are times when fasting is a great discipline to pick up for particular reasons, for specific reasons, when we feel we need to draw closer to the person of Christ. So we're going to turn to Matthew's Gospel today, and we're going to look to when Jesus fasted in the wilderness right before he began his ministry. And we come upon Jesus as he's out in the wilderness to be tempted, and he's just gone through a pretty momentous occasion in his life. He's just been baptized by his cousin John the Baptist, and this was something that he didn't strictly need to do. People go through baptism because it's a forgiveness of sins. It is a ritual cleansing of those sins. And why would Jesus need to go through a baptism for forgiveness of sins when he is the one who is sinless, when he is perfect? He went through this so that he could identify with us as sinners. It was part of the experience of understanding our plight as sinners. And then, of course, he had that display of the Holy Spirit des descending on him during his baptism, with God's voice declaring his pleasure in his son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He's receiving that identity as God's son. And now he comes to the wilderness to identify with all of us in temptation. And again, it's not that he needed to learn how to overcome temptation. He was God. He was the son of God. He was perfect in all ways. He could overcome any temptation. But this was about him identifying with our reality of having to deal with temptations and showing his perfect 
and holy character. So it was an extraordinary time for him, and he started it with a fast, with a 40-day fast of no food. And the point of the fasting wasn't to deny himself. The whole point of it wasn't just, I'm going to go out in the desert and I'm going to get just totally emaciated, but it was, I am withdrawing food from my life. I am fasting food so that I am not relying on that, but I am relying totally on God's presence. It was so that he could draw closer to God the Father, so that he could be sustained by him, by the words that God had spoken to him, and even the scriptures that Jesus has already known that we know, that we can draw close to, so that we have that weapon of the scriptures on our lips. And I think that's a big thing that many of us overlook when it comes to fasting. When we fast to remove things, it's not just bad things. Sometimes it's even good things so that they can be replaced for a time with something that is much, much better. That deeper connection with God, that better focus on God so that we don't have things that we can rely on instead of God. So that we don't have things that are distracting us or filling in that gap so that instead we can have God's presence in that place. It's why when we fast we also encourage that people pick up a discipline when we start to fast so that you're not just removing something because when you remove something something's naturally going to fill in that place. I've, I've said it before, nature abhors a vacuum. When you remove something, something will inevitably fill it. And when you fast, you intentionally fill that with something to help bring God's presence into your life. Whatever it may be, we'll talk about that later, but we bring something in that discipline to fill that place so that we can draw closer to God's presence. And then when we look at the things that the enemy tempted Jesus with, some of those things, not inherently bad things. Jesus was on a fast. He was extraordinarily hungry. So what did the enemy tempt him with? Food. We can all identify with that. We can all identify with being terribly hungry. We can all identify with food being a comfort in those terrible, awful moments of our lives, right? It's why the phrase comfort food is a thing. If I asked you guys, what is your comfort food? I guarantee everybody here knows exactly what their comfort food is. For me, it's Popeyes. It's absolutely 100% Popeyes. Is food a bad thing? No. Is Popeyes a bad thing? No. Maybe in moderation. Maybe when you overindulge in it, it's a bad thing. That's why I had to see a cardiologist a couple of years back. I'm not going to go into that right now. But you guys get my point. It's not about fasting bad things. Sometimes it's about fasting good things that we use as a crutch. And again, Jesus was the Lord of all creation, right? And he had within his power to do miracles. The enemy tempted him. If, you are, if you're so hungry and if you're the son of God, make these, lo these rocks into loaves of bread. We see Jesus plenty of times in the New Testament take simple things and make food out of it. We see him feed the 5,000 when he took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he made it enough to feed 5,000 people. We see him take water and make it into wine at a wedding. But the point in this moment wasn't about him exercising his power. It wasn't about him having a good meal and filling his stomach. But it was about sacrificing all of this so that he could feast totally and completely on God's presence and overcome those temptations that were presented before him. It was all about giving up something that was good so that he could feast and engage on something that was much better 
God's presence, God's nourishment for him, God's identity for him. And it was through his fast, through that connection to the Heavenly Father, that he, it just grew stronger and stronger. He traded something that wasn't bad, something that was good, for something that was far better. There was a great movie that came out. I was surprised to realize that it was almost 30 years ago that this movie came out. I'm, I'm guessing that maybe some of you guys haven't seen it because it is an old movie, but let's put this picture up. If you haven't seen it, you really should. Goodwill Hunting is an amazing movie. It deals with so many different deep topics like relationships and traumas and regrets and fears and identity, and it's got Robin Williams in it. Anything with Robin Williams is awesome. But there is one particular scene where Robin Williams' character, uh, Sean, is counseling Will. And they get into a conversation about when Sean knew that his wife was the one. And it goes into a great bonding moment between the two of them where they're talking about the night where Sean met his wife. And it was the night of game six of the World Series in 1975. And this all takes place up in Baston, so of course it's all about the Red Sox. And they start bonding over this moment where Sean was at a bar and he saw his wife come in and they were about to go to the game. And they're talking about the game. They're talking about this great moment where 35,000 Red Sox fans run onto the field and Will asks them, did you rush the field too? And Sean says, yeah, I was in a bar having a drink with my wife because he saw something better. He said, no matter how good this game could have been, and Will is just completely stupefied by this because he just sees the good of the game. Robin Williams' character said, as good as this was, he told his friends, I got to go see about a girl. It was something far better that he was focused on. And there wasn't a thing that he could change his mind about that. Now, that may seem like a bit of a non sequitur story, but that is kind of what happens when we fast. We take something that was good, maybe just fine, but we trade it for something that is far better, something that is far more nourishing, something that is far more integral to our lives. Those things that we take comfort in, those things that we might use to endure difficult times, we fast these things so that we can pay better attention to the things that God is doing in our lives, the things that he's saying in our lives the identity that he's creating in us, the, the way that he's conforming us to his image. That's what happens when we fast. We make the room for God to speak into our lives so that we can actually endure whatever trials, whatever tribulations, whatever is going on in our lives because we have that deeper presence of God in our lives. Excuse me a second. You guys can still take me seriously with the straw, right? Anyway, we lay down the things that are good, and we pick up the things that are better, the things that are best. That is one of the major points of fasting. And that's my first point here today, if we can put this up. Fasting isn't about limiting bad things. It's about engaging in the best thing. It's not about giving up those bad habits. It's not about some aesthetic sacrifice. It's about laying down the things, whether they're bad or good, that get in the way of our relationship with God so that we can feast on God, so that we can feast on his character, on who he is, so that we can become more like Christ. 
So my question for you guys today is, what has God been calling you to lay down? And what, he's been, what has he been calling you to pick up during Lent? How can you fast the things that might be good for something that is better? And remember, there's no hard and fast rule, no pun intended, about how we fast. There's no rule on what you have to give up. There's no rule on what you have to pick up as a discipline. And God challenges us each a little bit differently in our fast, depending on whatever our particular circumstance might be. For you, and I know for a lot of people, God has challenged them to fast coffee. And it's a difficult fast for a lot of people. For me, my best fast was actually when God told me to pick up coffee. He actually called me to stop sleeping in in the morning, but wake up early and have a cup of coffee and spend that time with him. That was me fasting my sleep so that I could feast on the waking presence of God. And again, that was the best fast that I personally ever had. That was the most growth that I'd ever seen in a Lent. So the exact form that God is calling you to fast something, it may be wildly different than your neighbors, but it is something that will speak to you in your situation and will lead you into a deeper relationship with him. And honestly, fasting can work whether you're flying in your fast or whether you're not doing so well in your fast, whether you're having a little bit of trouble with it. And that's what we'll talk about next, uh, if we can go down. So like I said, part of the beauty of Jesus' baptism and his fast and his temptations wasn't the fact that he needed to do all of these things in order to learn, you know, or in, in order to go through these things, but it was so that he could understand our plight, so that we could see that he went through these things as well. Even though he was fully God and fully man, he's without sin and without fail, he's the one that we can depend on. And he went through those things to understand our plight. And that's part of why we fast. Jesus went through these things so that he could identify with us. And in turn, a big part of why we fast in Lent is so that we can identify with Jesus. You know, Jesus identified with us in being baptized like any other sinner in need of forgiveness. He identified with us in his fasting, in his hunger in the desert. He identified with us in the temptations that came in those places of weakness, when it came to food and comfort, when it came to safety and security, when it came to using his power and obtaining more power. Those are all things that we can kind of understand and identify with, right? He went through that so that he could understand it. And during Lent, we're invited to identify with Jesus. We spend these 40 days during Lent fasting. All of the comforts and all of the crutches and all of the things that we have, just in the same way as Jesus gave up all of the comforts of heaven to live as a frail little human being, to suffer on the cross and die for our sake, for our salvation, for our redemption, for our chance to be reunited in a relationship with God. And our fasting ends on Easter just as Jesus' life and suffering on earth ended with his death and resurrection on Easter Sunday. But for all of us, unlike Jesus, who is perfect, we are not. We will suffer. We will, unfortunately, give in to our temptations. We will stumble and fall. And I'm sure a lot of us, again, are looking back on the last two weeks and saying, you know what? Once again, bit off a little bit more than I can chew on this fast. 
I didn't get it. I didn't nail it perfectly. But the good news is that fasting, in fasting, there's no expectation of doing it perfectly. It's not a game that you're supposed to win. The point of it isn't to get that check mark that I fasted perfectly today. But the whole point of it is to be drawn closer to Christ. And honestly, that can happen whether it's a win, lose, or draw in your fast. Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness, the Bible teaches us. And even in the weaknesses of our fast, we can still draw closer to God. There's still grace in those places of failure. So one of my best fast failures, or almost failures, that's a, that's a tongue twister, it came about a decade ago, and um, it was actually when Pastor Lydia led a bunch of us to a Daniel fast. Daniel fast, for those of you guys who don't know, is a complete and total meatless fast. It's not even like the no meat on Fridays, it's no meat whatsoever. If you guys know me, you know that is pure and utter torture. I am 100% a carnivore, although there is a rumor that I don't eat salad, that is a pernicious rumor. But anyway, so it was a heck of a fast, and it was only one week, just the last week of Lent. And sure enough, for whatever reason, I can't remember at this point, because like I said, this is about a decade ago, but for whatever reason, that week was absolute hell at work. So. What do me and my work friends do when we're having a bad week? What did I say? Comfort food? Popeyes. So there I am with all of my friends at Popeyes, and they're enjoying that wonderful, sweet, delicious, spicy chicken. And here I am suffering through this Daniel fast. And I'm starting to rationalize with myself, like, you know what? The skin of the chicken. That's not real meat, right? I mean, that's, I mean it's, it's just the breading and the spices and the oils and cooking. I could have just the skin of it, and that's not breaking the Daniel fast, right? Yes, I realize that is so stupid, and it's such a temptation, and it's so silly, but that's kind of the point. It was in that moment of temptation, like, am I really giving up a fast because I need Popeye's chicken to get through this situation? It really was me living not on every word that comes from the mouth of God, but on bread did chicken alone. <laughs> but even in that almost failure, because I, I stuck to just the mashed potatoes on it, I did not have the, the chicken, even in that moment of almost failure, it was still reminding me, Stu, you've got a ways to go. There is still room for you to grow, I felt like God was reminding me, for you to depend on me rather than other things to get through your trials, your traumas, your tribulations, your bad days, whatever it was. There is still plenty of room for me to grow to depend on him. So as I was preparing for this sermon, I came across a thesis paper written by a gentleman by the name of Kent Burgess. And he discussed fasting and keeping a Christ-centered approach to fasting. And he gave three quick little points on how fasting, what fasting can accomplish in us. And this is what he said. He said, first, as the Christian tradition has practiced since basically its inception, fasting can help us remember Christ, especially his incarnate humiliation 
and the work of his passion. Second, fasting can help us to imitate Christ in his discipline of the flesh and connection to the spiritual realities. And third, fasting will remind us of our need for Christ during this time between his appearances and our dependence on the Spirit as we anticipate his presence again. It's remembering what Christ went through. It's remembering how we can imitate Christ in his discipline. And it's reminding us of our need for Christ's presence through our trials and tribulations. And nowhere in this does it say that we have to be so successful in our fasts in order to remember any of this. And I'd say that even in our failures, the reminder of our need for Christ in our times of trials and tribulations can be all the stronger. So this is my second point here today. If we could put that up. Even in our fasting failures, we can still draw closer to the author and perfecter of our faith. Christ is the one on whom we can depend. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And as we fast and we cast aside all of those things that can get in the way of our connection with him, even if we don't do it right, even if we're not doing it perfectly, even if we're doing kind of terribly at it, there's still the opportunity to draw close to him. It's not a matter of having to succeed. It's the matter of turning our eyes towards him, even in the failures, and allowing Christ to mold us and grow us so that we can depend on him and overcome the trials and the temptations of this age. So my question for all of us here today is, in the victories and in the failures of your Lenten fast, how is Christ conforming you to his image? How are you growing to be more like Christ? Where is he calling you to grow as him and to depend on him? What's the growth that he's calling you to this Lent? And I would say that maybe it's not just for this Lent. We're not required to just fast during Lent and then not do it again. But there will be times when we will come across things, we will come across situations and we will say, God, I need you more now than I, I have in a while. I am recognizing my need for you. Where can I fast so that I can feast on you? That's the view of fasting I want to present to us today and hope that as we go into this year that we can see the value of fasting and how it can help us to turn to Christ more deeply in our times of struggle. So if you guys would rise with me and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this discipline of fasting, as strange as it may be to say that, because it gives us the opportunity to remove the things that get in the way of our connection and our relationship with you so that we can feast on your presence, so that we can trade all that we have for all that is better. And I pray, Father, in this Lenten fast this year and in all of our fasts to come, you would show us who you're calling us to be. You would mold us into your image and you would show us how we can draw close to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We talked about a few weeks ago that there was a long-term study done about divorce and why couples stick together. And the percentage they gave was 
an astounding number of 94% of couples and marriage couples particularly that stay together if they develop this one habit. That's if they turn toward one forward facing when there's a bid for connection. So what does that look like? If you've ever been in a relationship, not even just in a marriage, let me tell you why that relationship fell apart. When someone, when one partner turned toward you and bid for connection and you ignored it or you thought it was corny and so you, you got annoyed by it, right there, the equity in that relationship began to drop. One of the foundational pieces of, of strong marriages is laughter. Tell someone next to you, laughter. And after you're married for like 20 years, like me, there is not really that many things you can find funny. You know everything. Like, you know how someone snores. You know how someone is, where, where they get mad. You know everything. There's no mystery left. So there's only one thing left after 20 years. You know what that is? Vulnerability and silliness. My wife and I are still silly toward one another. She, I mean, she's the silliest person I know. And um, why? Because when we bid for connection in vulnerability, we're saying, this is my heart for you. This is how I feel about you. Now, one of the things Lent, the framework, is supposed to do is for us not to miss God's bid for connection in our lives, that which we usually miss most of the time because we're distracted. We have food coma. We have fires we're putting out. We have work anxiety, external environment anxiety. So we're always overwhelmed by everything around us so we miss the small still voice because the truth is God is always facing toward us and let me tell you the sillier you are in a relationship and the little smiles and laughs the chuckles it's not they're not really like hysterical those are the moments that solidify relationships because that means you like each other. I'm not talking about this deep, erotic, romantic love. Okay? That only happens when you deceive each other in the beginning. I'm talking about that joy and delight of facing toward one another, saying, I'm with you. I love you. I like you. I like your presence. If we can establish that bit for connection that God always faces toward us and we don't miss, our relationship with God would flourish. David said in the Psalms that the thoughts God has toward us and for us are greater than the stars in the sky and the grains in the sand. If we really knew how the Father felt for us, what he has in, in stored for us, how he feels for us, 
Holiness would become just part of the journey of our lives. We would just bid and choose God every single moment because we know how much he delights in us. So reciprocity is the goal of Lent. That's it. We fast to feast, as Stu spoke about. So today is a day where you don't have to fast. You guys know that, right? Sundays we take a break in Lent because God even knows we need our vices in food. I mean, and Stu, I never tried a Daniel fast, even when my wife was leading it, because I never start something I know I'm going to fail. So today... Will you lift your hands with me as God bids for connection? And will you face toward him today and say, God, I want to feast in who you are. I want to hear the thoughts you have toward me, the plans you have for me, and the delight you feel for me. So I can grow in my relationship with you. Because it's not you who doesn't bid for connection. It's me who's distracted. As we close today, I pray that in the secret place of, of every very ordinary days during our Lent, as we approach Easter and the Passion Week, I want to bless you to make memories with God. Silly memories. Because if you remember, the most profound scene in Goodwill Hunting is when, when Robin Williams said the things he misses about his wife. And he told Will, Here's what I miss about my wife her farting in her sleep. He goes, It's not romantic, right? sake but you don't believe how loud this lady farts at night if you know anything about relationships anything anything at all it's the little things it's the little things that we only know i'm not saying that happens with my wife (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't i don't want to get in trouble It's just me. It's just me. But that's what I want to bless you with. When the Father bids for connection, as he always does, not just for Lent, it's not reserved for that, but he wants to be in relationship with us, with the little things. And fasting allows us to pay attention when he faces toward us, when he beckons us, when he invites us to his presence. Will you listen? Will you respond? Will you laugh? It'll make all the difference. Will you bow your heads today for the benediction? So this land, be still and know I am God. Be still. And know I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. 
All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.